Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Well, earlier today, Janet Yellen delivered her much anticipated and way overhyped speech at the annual Jackson Hole Symposium. Now, it wasn't as completely irrelevant as I thought it was going to be, but the actual relevant part of the speech was lost on just about everybody. Instead, they keep focusing on the irrelevant aspect of whether or not the Fed is going to raise rates by another quarter point in September or December or maybe both. In reality, whether they do or they do not really is irrelevant given the nature of where we are and what the Fed is likely going to do and where the U.S. economy actually is. But, you know, also today, probably more important today, was my son's or is my son's birthday. My older son, Spencer, I talk about him a lot on this podcast, usually when I'm poking fun at the public school that he attends. But um, he's turning, he turned 14 today. And I know he listens to the podcast, so let me just take an opportunity of wishing him happy birthday yet again. And, you know, my son is not the only teen who listens to this podcast. I do get emails from time to time uh, from other teens. And, um, you know, so that's that's hopeful for the future. He is at least learning uh, because he listens uh, to me and he reads some of the stuff that I write and this podcast. So, again, happy birthday, Spencer. But let me move forward to the events of today. And, you know, for a small person, right? Uh, Janet Yellen is very uh, diminutive in her stature, but she certainly casts an enormous shadow over the financial markets. Everybody was on pins and needles. All the traders were there with their fingers on the buttons, waiting to react to anything that Yellen said. Now, I mentioned on an earlier podcast that there had already been a sell-off, particularly in gold stocks, a couple days ago. On the anticipation of the hawkish comments that Yellen may have made today, people were so worried that she was going to be hawkish on a rate hike that there was a big sell-off 
in gold stocks. I mean, really not much of a sell-off in gold itself. A little bit. Silver had a bigger decline. But the rest of the markets seem to be ignoring the possibility that Yellen would be a hawk. But, you know, before I even start dissecting what she said, let me talk a little bit about the idea that Yellen or anybody on the Fed uh, could be considered a hawk. Because if you don't know where this terminology came from, hawk and dove, right, you got two birds that probably couldn't be more different, right? A hawk is a bird of prey, right? It, it's got these big talons and a pointed beak, and it, it kills other birds, right? It's a, it's a tough animal. And so what that means is that you're a tough central banker. You believe in sound money, tight money. Right. You really want to turn up the screws on, uh, you know, the economy. You know, you're just going to fight inflation. You're not going to care about the short term impact on the markets or employment. You're really a tough bird of prey. You're a killer. You're a hawk. Right. On the other hand, you got a dove, right? A cute little fluffy bird, doesn't harm anybody, right? Magicians pull them out of a hat or whatever they do. It's all white and soft. It symbolizes peace, right? War, peace. So you're a dove if you're, you want cheap money. You want to keep interest rates low. Uh, you know, you don't want to harm anybody. You don't want to hurt the markets. You don't want to hurt the economy, right? You're a nice, soft, cute little dove. Nothing to fear. You don't have to fear a dove, but you better be afraid of a hawk because it can you know, jab its talons into you. Now, look, when it comes to hawks and the Federal Reserve, the bird is extinct. There are no hawks, right? It's like the dodo bird. They're all doves now. The only difference is the degree of dovishness, right? Are you a baby dove? Are you a mama dove? Are you a papa dove, right? It's just a question of how dovish are you? Uh, So this whole idea that somebody is going to be hawkish is a quarter point rate hike from where we are now in September or December, that is not a hawk. A hawk would be, hey, we got to raise interest rates today. We can't even wait for the September meeting, and we got to go by several hundred basis points. So the hawks are gone. Again, it's not like they're just on the endangered species list. They're extinct a long time ago, and they're probably never coming back from the dead. So Yellen was not a hawk. And neither was Stan Fisher, and I'm going to get to him later today. But anyway, before Yellen's speech, the markets already started to recover. At least the gold market started to recover. Gold was up seven, eight bucks, nine bucks before Yellen talked. And gold stocks were up two or three percent. So maybe people were already starting to buy the rumor, sell the fact, right? It really didn't matter. Maybe if Yellen did hint at a rate hike, hey, we already discounted that. People were jumping the gun and they were they were already in there buying gold and buying gold stocks and selling the dollar. The dollar was down. The dollar index was off. All the currencies were up against the dollar. And then 10 o'clock came and I was watching on CNBC and Steve Leesman read some of the highlights from the speech, because, of course, the speech is all written out. She doesn't talk like I do, you know, uh, extemporaneously from the microphone. She's got a speech and she simply reads it, which means, you know, why even be there? I mean, if you're just going to read a speech that's been written, why do you even have to go? Just send in the speech. Right. I mean, the whole purpose of someone talking live should be that they're saying stuff you know, that's not prepared in advance. I mean, you're just going to stand there and read a speech. I mean, you know, be honest, you know, what's the point of being there? But anyway, he started reading from this speech, and the the first thing he read was Janet Yellen's statement that the case for a rate hike has gotten greater over the last several months. That's all she said. And the markets heard that and said, the case has gotten greater for a rate hike, and the dollar jumped way up, 
Gold sold off negative. Gold stocks sold off negative. Very sharp decline. I mean, as soon as that word was read, everybody hit the sell button for gold, the buy button for the dollar. Oh, my God, the case for a rate hike has increased. And all I'm thinking of is, so what? I mean, so what if the case has increased? It doesn't mean that they're actually going to raise rates. I mean, look, you could have made a case for raising interest rates a long time ago. In fact, the case was very strong for raising rates a long time ago. Yet the Fed ignored that and left them at zero anyway. And they, by the time they moved in December, you know, it was too little too late. But it doesn't matter. So what? A, let's say the case for a rate hike has actually gone up, which if you actually look at the data, it really hasn't. Right. What has changed over the last couple months? The only significant change is that the market rallied following the big Brexit decline. Well, why did the market rally? Well, because everybody thought that the big decline meant that the Fed couldn't hike breaks and it was taking the rate hikes off the table that allowed the markets to rally. And so how's that for irony? Now, Janet Yellen say, well, the case for a rate hike is stronger, but it's only because markets rallied because they thought the case for a rate hike is weaker. If she's actually going to raise rates, well, then markets are going to go tanking all over again. But the economic data doesn't suggest that the economy is in better shape than it was a couple of months ago. I'll get over, get into some of the economic data that, that came out today, as a matter of fact, that supports the case that the economy is weakening, not strengthening. But even if you accept the fact that the case is greater now for a rate hike than it was a couple of months ago, so what, Right. Let's say the case a couple of months ago, on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say that the, the case for raising rates was a 1. And now, on a scale of 1 to 10, the, the case for raising rates is a 2. Okay, yes, that's an increase, right? The number is greater. 2 is greater than 1, but it's not 10, right? If the Fed needs you know, a high number to raise rates, the fact that the case for increasing them has moved up from 1 to 2 doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean that she's actually going to do anything. And I think that after the knee-jerk reaction, the markets basically thought along those lines. Big deal. So what? This changes nothing. She did not promise a rate hike. She simply said the case for raising one, for raising rates, was greater. But, you know, doesn't matter. doesn't matter how great the case is. The Fed can keep ignoring it and deciding not to raise rates. The more important part of the speech contained a lot of very, very dovish language that should have been extremely bearish for the dollar and bullish for gold. And I will explain that a little bit later. First, I want to get into the markets. So after the initial knee-jerk reaction to that statement, and the markets had you know a few minutes to digest it and realize how insignificant and meaningless it actually was, everything turned around. Gold had a huge rally. It rallied up maybe 15, 16 bucks from negative, you know, three, four dollars, wherever it was. The dollar index turned around. All the gold stocks soared up and made new highs. The gold stocks were now up maybe 3%, 4% on the day. Huge rally in gold stocks. Dollar index reversed, went down, and it looked like that, hey, we had this head fake reaction, and now the markets were reversing. And no sooner had that party gotten started that Federal Reserve Vice Chair Stanley Fisher was being interviewed on CNBC by Steve Leesman, who asked the vice chairman a question about the speech and what it portended for the possibility of a rate hike in either September or December. And he answered the question by saying that there was nothing in Janet Yellen's speech that was inconsistent with the possibility 
of a rate hike, either in September or December, which was true. The possibility, however remote, is still out there. And that is all the guy said. But that's all the markets needed. As soon as they heard that, it was like, oh, my God, hawkish statements coming from Stanley Fisher. The Fed is going to raise rates in September, maybe in December. And all of a sudden, gold tanked, the dollar rallied, and the markets went down. In fact, the dollar index ended up the day up almost a full percent, about three quarters of a percent. Dollar index up about 0.77, just under 95 and a half. Gold managed to finish the day about flat, maybe down a buck, about 13.20. Silver did eke out about a 14 cent gain, about 18.64. But that was a big rise. The dollar rose across the board on this idea that Fisher had been hawkish and somehow now the odds of a September rate hike, which had dropped following Yellen's speech, all of a sudden jumped following an off-the-cuff remark on a television interview. Now, the, the fact, too, that the markets you know, react so much to what these guys happen to say, as if they actually know anything, is ridiculous. But it shows you how much the markets depend on the Fed, because that's all what this is about. In fact, I think all the economic news that we get boils down to what the Fed says about it. It doesn't actually matter what it is, right? When, because when people hear about news, whatever it is, the employment numbers, the GDP numbers, whatever the number is, nobody really cares what it actually is. All they care is what the Fed is going to do or what the Fed is going to say about the numbers. Because what they say supposedly indicates what they might eventually do. And so it all boils down to what is the Fed going to do? Nothing is real. Nothing else matters, which shows you how much of a bubble we have when it's all based on what people who really know very little about the economy supposedly think and are supposedly going to do, even though there is very little evidence to suggest that what they do has anything to do with what they say. And in fact, that I think is one of the most important aspects of today's speech. If you actually listen or go read what Janet Yellen said and what was largely ignored, Although I think one part of the speech that wasn't ignored is when she talked about future asset purchase program, like another round of quantitative easing, although she didn't use the words QE, she just talks about asset purchases. She did suggest that they should expand that beyond the treasuries and the mortgage-backed securities uh, that they used the last time, which should have been a very, very negative sign for the dollar uh, and positive for gold that the Fed is now thinking of broadening what it purchases into maybe corporate bonds or muni bonds or maybe they want to buy stocks, right? Other central banks have already gone down that road. Uh, so maybe the Fed is about to traverse the same path. That was significant, but not nearly as significant as some of the other things that Janet Yellen said that nobody, nobody talked about. The only place you're going to hear about this is is on this podcast. So number one, Janet Yellen talked about the Fed's, you know, policy tools, right? What are our policy tools now looking forward to the next recession, right? Whenever, whenever that next recession is coming, right, forget about the fact that we're probably already there. But Janet Yellen is saying, well, what is the Fed going to do in the next recession? And so one of the things she talked about, first of all, was the balance sheet. And Yellen admitted that their initial plan was to shrink the balance sheet before raising interest rates, right? That they would start to wind down 
their their portfolio of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, that they would start selling into the market, and they would do that before they began lifting rates, which makes sense, because if you're going to sell into the market, you'd want to do that before you raise rates, because raising rates helps make the assets you're trying to sell less valuable. And so the loss that you would take on the sale would be bigger. And then Janet Yellen said, but they decided not to do that because they were unsure of the impact it would have on the economy. And I think that's a lie. I think the reason they decided not to do it is because they were sure of the impact it would have, and it would be a disaster. Not only would it be a disaster for the bubble economy, because selling all those treasuries and mortgage-backed securities would push up long-term interest rates and push up mortgage rates and crash the real estate market and the economy, but it would also cause huge losses for the Federal Reserve, which Congress would have to make up. So it would be a complete disaster. That's why they abandoned that plan. And if you remember, when Ben Bernanke first floated that idea, and when Janet Yellen even talked about it herself, I said at the very beginning, never going to happen. Uh-uh. The Fed is making this up. They cannot sell those bonds. And that's exactly what happened. I was 100% right. I don't remember anybody else saying that the Fed was not going to do what they were claiming they were going to do. I knew it was all talk, and it could never be backed up with action because I knew what the consequences would be the minute the minute they even suggested it. And now Janet Yellen is admitting that they changed their mind. But she's lying about why she changed it. And, of course, what she said is their new plan is to eventually stop reinvesting the maturing principal and the interest that they earn. Now, of course, they haven't even stopped doing that yet. I mean, come on. They have, they're still doing that. And if the Fed hasn't been able to do that, why would they be able to do that in the future, especially now since the economy is already weakening back into recession if they couldn't do that six months ago or a year ago or a year and a half ago? And Janet Yellen didn't say when. She just said at some point in the future, they're going to start doing that. Well, they're never going to start doing that because the minute the Fed stops rolling over the maturing bonds, now you have the exact same problem that the Fed wanted to avoid in the first place by selling the bonds itself. Because if bonds mature, let's say there's a you know trillion dollars worth of bonds that mature and the Fed doesn't roll them over like it's doing now, right? Well, where is the Treasury going to get the trillion dollars to pay the Fed? Because the Treasury has to pay the Fed when the bonds mature. Well, it's going to have to sell a trillion dollars worth of bonds into the market. Well, that would crush the market. That's exactly what the Fed wants to avoid. The Fed doesn't want to sell a trillion dollars worth of bonds. Well, if the Fed doesn't do it, the Treasury is going to do it. Either way, the bonds are going to hit the market. So if the Fed wants to make sure that the market doesn't get hit with enormous supply, it can never allow its balance sheet to run down. So this is a lie, too. But, you know, they just keep on saying it because they don't want to say the truth. But here's where uh, she really lets the cat out of the bag. Now, she starts talking about how interest rates are still really low and how she feels that there's now a new normal neutral rate of interest, which is much lower than it's been historically. Now, why is that? Why all of a sudden is the natural rate of interest so much lower than it used to be? I mean, this is all nonsense. The only reason it's low is because we have so much debt. The central banks have to keep interest rates low because otherwise we'd have to default. But nothing has fundamentally changed that would alter where interest rates should be. You just have the central bank trying to keep them artificially suppressed to sustain, you know, broke governments and asset bubbles. 
But Yellen talked about maybe the upper bound might be something like 3%. And she said, you know, does it mean that let's say we get the next recession and if interest rates are only at 3%, is the Fed really equipped to battle that recession with rate cuts because it wouldn't have the full arsenal, right? It wouldn't have all the bullets to cut rates because rates are not that high. And first of all, I'm laughing, 3%. What, is she kidding? The Fed's not going to get rates anywhere near 3% before the next recession starts. I mean, they'll be lucky if they can get them to 1%, let alone 3%. But what Janet Yellen said was that it doesn't matter because we have quantitative easing. We have asset purchase programs. We have this new tool in our toolbox. And so even though we don't have a lot of rate hike, rate cuts at our disposal, we can do more QE. And she threw out the possibility of a $2 trillion QE program to help combat the next recession. Now, of course, it took much more than $2 trillion of QE to combat the recession we just had. And since I think the next recession, which may have already begun, is going to be much larger than that one, I mean, $2 trillion is just the opening bid on the next round of QE. The next round of QE is going to be a $10 trillion plus uh, nuclear bomb. But even if it's just $2 trillion, what does that mean? Because the balance sheet right now is about $4.5 trillion. It hasn't shrunk at all, not by a single treasury. And the Fed has not stated when in the future it's going to let it wind down. But it just said that if we have another recession it's going to do another $2 trillion worth of QE, which means that $4.5 trillion balance sheet is going to get bigger. Even if it managed to go down slightly, it ain't going down $2 trillion between now and the next recession, and then they're going to crank it up, which is exactly what I said. In fact, you remember a couple of years ago, Janet Yellen said that she was going to wind that balance sheet down to pre-2008 financial crisis levels by the end of the decade. And I said, no, she's not. I said it's going way up. And now she just confirmed that, that it's going up. And, you know, why does nobody get this? Because if you remember when the Federal Reserve first announced quantitative easing, this was an emergency program for a financial crisis. Now it's just business as usual. Now it's what we're going to have every time we have a recession. This is now standard operating procedure. It's no longer a one-time emergency measure, which is why I said we're going to have more QEs than Rocky movies. This is never ending. The Fed has no intention of stopping this. This is QE infinity. All they do is pause. They taper on and taper off. And so this means that the Fed's balance sheet is going to keep growing, which also exposes another lie by Ben Bernanke, which I called him on the minute he said it, when he was testifying before Congress when they did QE1, and one of the congressmen said, hey, this is bad, you're monetizing the debt. Ben Bernanke said, we're not monetizing the debt, because debt monetization is when the central bank becomes a permanent source of government financing. Ben Bernanke says, this is just an emergency temporary measure. We're just buying these bonds as an emergency. And as soon as the emergency is over, we're going to sell the bonds. And so we're not really monetizing the debt. We're just buying it temporarily. And then we're going to sell it back to the market. I said back then he was lying. And Janet Yellen just confirmed it was a lie because she just committed to open-ended, never-ending quantitative easing programs as part of the Fed's new tool chest to deal with future uh, recessions. So when are people going to wake up and realize that it's one lie after another, and then they keep retelling the story, respinning the story, and nobody holds these guys accountable? I mean, I listen to all the people dissecting what they're saying and, and, and talking about it and writing about it, and nobody gets it.
They still have such reverence for these individuals. They still act as if they're some kind of a monetary god. And, you know, they're the complete opposite of that. And, of course, Janet Yellen continues to remain oblivious to the economy weakening around her, right? She's like, you know, the captain of the Titanic, and she's standing there as the boat's sinking, and maybe she's waist deep in water, and she's still saying no need to be concerned, you know, just uh, keep on dancing, everything is fine. This is how clueless Janet Yellen is. In fact, even today, earlier, before she spoke, we got weak economic news that apparently she was ignoring. We got the revision to the second quarter GDP, And remember, that number came in really, really low. It came in at 1.2. And, of course, everybody was looking for 3% plus earlier in the quarter or late last quarter. And we ended up with 1.2. Well, we revised it down to slightly below 1.1. But the important part of this is not just the downward revision, but what happened beneath the surface. Because consumer spending actually picked up to about the highest level in five years. Now, I'm not sure what consumers are spending that money on. Maybe it's more expensive uh, health insurance. Maybe it's more expensive groceries or maybe gas prices have ticked up. I don't know what it is, but there was a big pop-up in consumer spending that we know is being financed with credit cards and by dipping into savings, but it is unsustainable. That pop in consumer spending is unsustainable. Business investment uh, is coming down. And so this recovery, if you want to call it that, is really on borrowed time. Because the consumer is not going to be able to maintain that momentum in this third quarter, which is, you know, why everybody is still so optimistic on the third quarter. You know, when when uh, Fisher was talking with Steve Leisman, he was saying that he thinks the second half of the year is going to be three percent economic growth. And it's based on his belief that we're going to have three percent growth in the second half of the year that he thinks that it's still possible that we may get rate hikes in September or December but that, you know, we're data dependent. But why would the GDP be 3% in the second half? It was below 1% in the first half. If you average the first two quarters, you just get below 1%. And in fact, if you average the last three quarters, you get a little bit more below 1%. So why would the second half of the year be triple the rate of growth of the first half of the year? I mean, what's changed? What's improved? Nothing. If anything, the back half of the year is going to be even weaker than the front half, given what's going on. And in fact, we got more economic news today that is negative for the uh, the GDP in the third quarter, and that was wholesale inventories, which were supposed to rise and which were actually flat. And the prior month, where they were originally reported as up 0.3, they revised that down to up 0.2. So I think this is going to shave off a little bit more of the estimates. In fact, the Atlanta Fed on Thursday came down a little bit for, the, for their third quarter estimate. They're now down at 3.4, which is still you know up in la-la land. But now they're at least starting to come down because they were 3.6, I think, when their week began. But based on this data, they're probably going to come down. And they, they probably have a long way to go. Because what we're really seeing in the employment landscape and in some of the other indexes is that the economy is weakening and that big jump up in consumer spending, which is which actually propped up the second quarter as weak as it was. It was being propped up by a consumer who's being propped up by debt. You know, once the consumer caves, this recession is here in full glory. And then what is the Fed going to do? Well, now we know the Fed is going to do QE4. Yellen's already said that. 
She just thinks she's going to be able to do that in a couple of years and when rates are at 3%. No, she's going to have to do that much sooner than that because the economy is much, much weaker than anyone at the Fed either understands or is willing to publicly admit. And I still think one of the main reasons they don't want to admit how weak the economy is is political because Donald Trump is saying the economy is weak and President Obama and Hillary Clinton are bragging about how great it is. They're not saying it's perfect, but they're saying that we've achieved real success here and we have a good economy and Donald Trump is peddling fiction. Well, the Fed wants to maintain the false narrative. So they have to keep talking about this great recovery and they can't talk about a great recovery unless they talk about the possibility of a rate hike. But what's so amazing is just because a rate hike is possible doesn't mean it's probable. I said a alien invasion is possible. Right. There's nothing that Janet Yellen said uh, that rules out the possibility of an alien invasion. But I'm certainly not going to base my portfolio on that happening. I'm not going to start looking for stocks that I think are going to benefit from an alien invasion, even though it's possible. Now, maybe it's slightly more possible than a rate hike. But again, whether or not the Fed raises rates is irrelevant. What's far more relevant is that the rate hike cycle is either already over or close to an end. And it's nowhere near the magnitude that was originally believed by everybody. And the more important thing is this next recession, what the Fed is going to do. And they've already said they're going to go back to QE. And of course, before they do that, they're going to go back to zero. They may even go negative. And not only are they going to buy treasuries the next time, and not only are they going to buy mortgage-backed securities, but they just opened up the door to buying all sorts of things, like corporate bonds right, or municipal bonds or common stock. Right? This is all highly negative stuff. This is far more relevant than trying to figure out if we're going to get another insignificant quarter-point rate hike. In fact, the only reason that the Fed is raising rates is so they can cut them in the next recession. That's it. They're just trying to get more ammunition so they have more rate hikes up their sleeves. But what difference does it make how many times they raise rates if the only reason they're doing it is so they can cut them? Markets are supposed to look forward to the real move. The real move is the next ease and how big that cycle is going to be. And it's going to be enormous. It's going to be even bigger than the one that we just had. Also in that interview with Stanley Fisher, he seemed to express some frustration with the fact that Steve Leesman mentioned that the Fed was losing credibility over the fact that they're data dependent. And of course, I've always been saying that they've been using data dependency as an excuse, as a failsafe not to do anything because they simply say, well, we're going to raise rates, assuming the data supports that decision. And I've always said it doesn't matter what the data is. It's never going to support the decision because it doesn't actually have any concrete data. But now he's trying to hide behind the fact that, well, I mean, obviously we have to look at the data. How can we just say we're going to raise rates, you know, irrespective of the data? And then he said something which I thought made me laugh. He said to Steve Leesman, look, what do they want us to do? Flip coins? And my instant reaction was, yeah. I mean, flipping coins for the Fed would be a huge improvement. Because at least when you flip a coin, you're going to be right half the time. Instead of the Fed being wrong 100% of the time. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. 
They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams and How to Avoid Getting Ripped Off for Free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.